I was looking this morning at the uh, financials for the um, for the day, and uh, and I was scared. I was scared. Um, a lot going on in the financial markets. A lot going on with um, this coronavirus, and it uh, it brought me back to 19, or I'm sorry, to 2007, 2008. In 2007, 2008, I was also really scared. And it's interesting because I'm not one that gives into a lot of fear. In fact, I've prided myself since the time I was pretty young about not being afraid, not being afraid. And I'm a psychologist, right? I mean, I'm somebody that's trained to help people master their, you know, master their anxieties, you know, to work through things and so forth. So I don't like being afraid. I really don't like that. But I was looking at at the screens this morning, and I was back in 2007, 2008. I had anticipated the subprime um, mortgage crisis. I remember being really anxious when the Dow's were hitting, when the Dow was hitting its high back then. I was seeing systemic the the, the possibility of systemic collapse, and it was very wrapped up in the old ways I have of coping with these things. And I was, as I was reflecting on that this morning, I realized that this is not so much about, you know, 2020. It's not so much about 2007, 2008. This is really about 1980. Mm -hmm. And in 1980, um, I was in a hospital bed in Madison, Wisconsin, looking up at the ceiling, um, about to go in for my third surgery on my neck. Um, uh, I was a hundred miles, 104 miles from home. Um, I was in a room by myself with a, well, I was in a room. I had a roommate, a little toddler roommate who was just crying through the night, um, on a pediatrics ward. I was 10 years old and, um, and I was, I thought I could die. I thought I could die and I thought I couldn't take any more. I remember the words from uh, from a song that was in uh, my grandfather's uh, Magnus Chord Oregon book. I found the words to uh, the song uh, "Suicide is Painless." That's um that's the theme from Mash, um, and uh, and it was the first time I remember really being overwhelmed by fear. And I had this thought at that time that if I got overwhelmed by fear, it could kill me. And so at that moment, all that fear drained out of me, or I thought it drained out of me. I didn't feel it. Um, and it was replaced with a lot of anger or really sort of um, uh, suppressed by anger. And what I just realized this morning is as I was feeling the fear that I thought went back to 2007, 2008, um, is that this connected way back to 1980. Uh, to It was tapping into things that had not been entirely resolved, uh, even though I had been aware of them, I had done some work on them in my, own, in my own therapy. But there was still some things there where I felt really alone in the, uh, in the little room with the white walls and the crying toddler um and so um so 
to make those connections to understand that was like eye-opening to me. And it's one of the things I really love about doing this work for uh, with souls and hearts. I mean, it's always stuff that comes up for me. There's always stuff that comes up in here for me. So, you know, I have been in sessions with clients um, who are really anxious right now. This is the most anxious my clientele has been in general uh, ever. Um, as uh as all kinds of travel restrictions are being imposed, as things are um, shutting down, as life is changing in ways that are unpredictable, as they scramble for uh, ways to control. I'm also thinking about that. We are having unanticipated things happening in life, you know, in our families, in my family right now. So, so um, these are these are. This has been a difficult time. This has been a difficult time, and. Uh, so I wanted to talk today about coping with fear, um, and it uh, connects in to, uh, to some of our readings, I thought, as I was looking through them today. So I, uh, I'm glad you're here, Dr. Jerry. Um, hey, Dr. Peter. Very glad you're here with me today. It's good to look at you and to be with you as we so we enter into some of these, uh, you know, these uh, deep waters, um, and I'm glad that all of you are with us as well on this journey, um, on this pilgrimage inside with souls and hearts. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Peter. Thank you for sharing that story and a connection between, you know, your fears of the, the market and then how that really brought you back to that childhood experience that was so sounds like you know very um difficult very lonely and full of fear and 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 it was a that was a major turning point i think sounds like for you yeah i mean i i i i had thought i had just sort of left it behind you know i thought that because it hadn't troubled me i didn't i rarely thought about those three surgeries those two failed uh spinal fusions um and then the third one which ultimately was successful i recovered with very little sort of post-operative, you know, problems. Um, That's a lot for a little guy to go to through. And you mentioned like there being a toddler crying throughout the night right beside you. That must have right. Just... That was extremely stressful. And I, 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 you know, and again, memories can 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 be distorted in various ways. But I just remember the 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 sense from the the nursing staff was that there's nothing we can do, you know. And wow. he did cry himself out. But it was sort of a hopeless cry, and I, I felt like that toddler. And I felt guilty that I couldn't reach out to him, mm. you know, be, and I couldn't do anything to help him because I was so wrapped up in my own stuff. Right. And that ties into some of the concerns that I have now as a clinician. Am I going to be able to, as I kind of explore mm. what I'm anxious about now, is I'm gonna, am I going to be able to take care of my family with all the unpredictable things that are going to be happening. Can I ask you a question? There's just something yeah. that struck me. You said your fear was replaced by anger. Yeah. And could you yeah. say something about that? Because like, what was that anger and who was it directed to? So the anger originally was directed at my first surgeon um, because I found he was totally incompetent. Like that's most sort of my attitude. When you were 10. You were when 10 I was 10. Hospital. Yeah, I have this memory of being <laughs> in the first hospital after the, after the second surgery. I have this memory of him coming in. I'm alone with the surgeon. And um, the surgeon comes in and tells me that uh, the wires in my fusion between my C1 and C2 vertebrae have broken again. 
and that the surgery was unsuccessful. Uh -huh. Same surgery he had done the first time around. And I, I, I remember like the sinking feeling and then I remember just rage. And I remember like throwing the water pitcher at him and saying all of the worst words I could think of as a 10 year old. I didn't have a very oh, great wow. vocabulary preparing as a 10 year old, but, and I remember him being afraid. Of you. <laughs> of me. I remember him being afraid of me. And then I was able to sort of, and I didn't figure this out until about uh, two years ago. But then I was, able to, I was able to feel like, oh, I'm not afraid. The surgeon is afraid. Uh, like I was able to, 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 to displace that fear or to attribute the fear to the surgeon. And I was angry. So as ang when I'm angry, I'm powerful, right? Wow. And when I'm angry, I'm, I, I can get things done. You know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I've got agency, you know, when I'm angry. These are all the associations that I was making as a little 11-year-old. Um, you know, in a hospital bed. So there you was something what, really adaptive about that. Yeah, I was just going to link that to like EMDR, you know, which is a right. type of trauma treatment that you learned the answer to resolving problems of loneliness, problems of fear, problems of all, all this helplessness. You learned to, by through anger, you could right. gain, like you said, agency and power. Right, right. Wow, so that yeah. became what you learned, which probably was interestingly effective it was then, very effective <laughs> <laughs> but probably in later in life discovering that that doesn't work in all situations no it's it's really it's really kind of difficult because i didn't tolerate fear you know situations that would make other people afraid um would make me angry right. you know in certain situations like it, it's really adaptive like you know stray dogs you know sometimes would chase me while i was running uh and I used to like just, and I still do. I'll still, I'll go after the stray dog, and every dog I've ever I've had that's ever come after me has turned and run when I went after it, you wow. know. And and I've also like had I've done some forensic work where uh, attorneys were cross examining me and trying to destabilize me, and I could, you know, I could rise up and disarm them, you know, yeah. in various ways. So there's ways that it was adaptive, but when. When one of my kids who had just learned how to drive spun out on, on a road, you know, one of my sons spun out and was like totally afraid and like was able to feel all of that and experience all of that. Like this is again, a number of years ago, I, I had a hard time understanding what he was experiencing because I was disconnected from my own, from my own fear. Right. Right. So the capacity for empathy in that particular situation, uh, you know, was limited for me. You know, wow. and uh, so I'm glad to be able to experience the fear when I have it now. Yeah, I mean, it is a gift to be able but to connect with that. You know, I'm curious because, you know, the shows be with the word and we are looking at our Sunday readings and we've got right. some really powerful ones. And I right. really think what you were just saying there about even that moment, not being able to connect with your son's fear right. in a way that to be, you know, helpful to him. I think that's going to come. I'd like to come back to that in later yeah. readings. Yeah. Well, we definitely cool. want to connect with the readings because, you know, all these things, like when I experienced these, these were about life and death. Like all of these fears, the fear I had this morning when I was looking at that stock chart and the fears from 1980 or 2007, 2008, and then going back to, you know, 1980, it all connected back to things around life and death. And when we get really afraid, it connects back to basic things, usually around safety and security you know, very much about at least perceived life and death situations. 
um, you know, cause like in 1980, I had trouble with the anesthetic. I had a lot of trouble with the general anesthetic. I mean, that was a real problem for me. Um, and so there were, I mean, there was risk involved in that. And so we can tap into that stuff and not realize that we're tapping into it. So one of the things that I connected through all out, all three readings was this theme of life and death. Yeah. If you go back to Ezekiel, right, which are, which is our, our first reading, our Lord tells us through the prophet Ezekiel, you know, the Lord says to tell, is telling Ezekiel to tell the Israelites, I will open your graves and have you rise from them. Mm. Implying that, you know, they're already dead. I will put my spirit in you that you may live. Right. No, I, I have promised and I will do it, you know. So, um, and, and in the second reading, Paul to the Romans, I will give life to you. You know, you're dead because of sin, but I will give life to you. So I, as I was in this space, you know, dealing with fear today, I was thinking about life and death. And that's how I was connecting it. And then, of course, we have in the gospel, Lazarus, right? The story of Lazarus rising from the dead. Can, so, I, can I mention something? Um, yeah. And I, I don't know if this will connect well or not. It's just what's, <laughs> it's okay. We're, it's we're just, just... It might not. And then we just sort of like shove it aside. But no. I can't help it because I am like a super geek, right? And, and he, actually, I don't know if, what, if it gets cut out or not sometimes in the video editing, but there's a Lord of the Rings picture behind me. Right. And um, I, when I hear that, I picture the scene from the two towers and it's the, the King Theoden and he's pale and he's got worm, worm tongue, I think it is, like telling him what to do and say. And, you know, Gandalf, the wizard, comes in and, you know, has managed to f- trick them into letting him come in with his staff, right? But when you see Theoden, it's like he's dead. It's like he's dead. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and he's caught in this and he's incapable of really uh, being alive. Like he's not fully alive, but he's incapable of taking action. He's incapable of understanding anything that's going on. He's incapable of reaching out to his own, helping his own children or, nieces right. or nephews or whatever it is. Right. And, and in other words, they're being hurt in a way and he can't do it. Like he's just blinded right. in a he's way. He's caught up in his yeah. own, in his own internal stuff. Yeah. yeah, and that powerful scene where Gandalf, you know, uses a staff, whatnot, and you can see the life come back into him. Right. And as soon as it does, he takes action, like realize, well, there's hordes of orcs attacking the kingdom, and this guy has actually been feeding me poison all this right. time. Right. And, and that's what kind of came to me. Like, I don't think that fits totally to your story, but I do kind of think, like, you know, you learn anger. It's not really the same, but, like, right. Something impaired you from being able right. to 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 actually be fully human with your son when he needed you, right. right? Right, and it's only because you had to learn how to adapt in a way that was necessary at one time earlier in your life. It's not right. a criticism of you. It's just no, you. yeah, no. It's like those parts of me don't know like what year it is. Like if I'm right. experiencing that, it's like it's 1980 all over again, right? right? You know, so so yeah, and you know what? It's really interesting how you how you describe it, like because that's all of Ezekiel 37. If you go back to and read the rest of the chapter of Ezekiel, it's like Ezekiel has this um, has this vision in which our Lord commands him to preach to these dry bones strewn across the countryside, mm-hmm. and as he preaches to them, you know, the bones come together, they knit together. And then the skeletons arise and then the, the flesh comes on the bones. Like there's this very graphic representation of these dead dry bones, like 
coming alive again, which is what I was thinking of when you were describing that scene with Theoden in the two towers, right? It was very much like, yeah, it's very much like coming alive again. Or, you know, in the second reading, again, we're, we're talking about giving life. You know, St. Paul is talking about how our Lord gives us life again, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, um, it, it very much is like that. There are people, you know, who feel pretty dead, pretty numb, pretty shut down, disconnected inside you know, or, or they've lost themselves in anxiety or they've lost themselves in dissociation or they've lost themselves in their despair, right? There's lots of ways that we can lose ourselves right. and die in ways that aren't good. So, you know, it makes me think like, you know, in terms of, Hey, our listeners and people that are here listening, and there are ways in which I think all of us have allowed parts of ourselves to just kind of wither or die or be, you know, numbed out or be disconnected. And, and it's for some reason, it's not just out of nowhere. It's because of usually right. past traumas and things. And yet it, it, it just, you know, we don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to allow those dry bones to come alive again. We don't allow to allow the spirit in to be able to bring life. Right. Um, right. But the, and a lot of times it's, it's, it's so outside of our, our awareness, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, and so we're, we're, um, you know, we're going, and it goes back to that basic safety and security. You know, a lot of times people say, yeah, I don't ever think about my childhood, you know, um, as a depth psychologist, I do go back, you know, <laughs> we do kind of take a look at what's happening there. You know, and, but you uh, you did that. You made the connection to there's a current situation right now right, going on, right. stirred up 2007, 2008 fears, right. Which then you were also able to say that was also fueled and affected by something early on, and then right. it it leads me to think, okay, Dr. Peter here, yeah. Like, what did ten year old you need? I'm sorry. What did the, what did 10 year old? Yeah. Well, that's the thing because once you begin to ask and answer those questions, then you're in a really much better position to have those needs met. Like if you know what they are. Right. So the thing that was so frightening to me when I was 10 was just how alone I was, right. How I was sort of disconnected because my parents couldn't be there the whole time. And back in 1980, hospital admissions or visitation privileges were very different than they are now. You know, there was some visitation hours, um, you know, and, you know, I was in this, I, I needed a really specialized surgery, especially since the first two surgeries had failed. So I, I couldn't be really close to home. And, um, and so, but as a 10 year old, you don't understand all of those things, right? right? Or you understand them in only in the most intellectual way. Right. And, uh, you know, my mom would have loved to have been there with me the whole time. My mom was a nurse. Right. So I was, you know, oh, wow. first, so I had never spent that much time away from home at 10 years old, 11 years old. I wasn't, I, you know, we didn't done a lot of this, you know, camp away from home stuff or anything. It was the first time that I was really away from home. Right. So, um, so what I really needed was the sense that, um, that there was somebody that I could rely on that was there that was going to help me through this. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that didn't come out through the through the medical team, right. the medical staff <laughs> at all. Uh, so, so you know, and I've noticed that in you know recent days where I've gotten myself very caught up in my own strength, in my own power, I'm going to figure it out on my own. You know, that's where I had you know go back to that deep sense of alienation, and it's not because God doesn't love me or because God isn't you know invested in me. It's because 
I've disconnected. I've decided that I'm going to rely on the old familiar ways of, of relying on myself. I have grown up very self-reliant and it's right. been, it's been really problematic. Self-reliance is just a way of adapting yes. to feeling alone and not having right. any other recourse. So right. I'm really curious now then, like say given right now, coronavirus, everything right. going on, right? Like for you, obviously you might, be able to rely on your family, people right. that you know you're not, and friends to know right. you're alone. So, and that that's definitely, I'm assuming, is a good thing. Yeah, but I'm good curious, thing. how do you, okay, allow God in to help that ten year old part of you now? Well, see, that's that's the thing. It's when I notice that I'm skipping like my my daily prayer routines, like I have little time that I set aside, you know, seven minutes in the morning. This is after my morning meditation. I try to do a holy hour in the morning. But if I don't do those prayers during the day and I decide like I did this morning to like um, just give a quick update on the markets, you know, um, I can get myself really wound up quick, right? Yeah. Because because uh, that all is set up to um, to, to to increase agitation and fear, right? The, there's nothing I'm reading on the internet when I'm doing that that is fostering the spiritual life and letting me know that I'm a beloved child of God, right? I actually have to work against the world, you know, that's out there on the internet, really, to be able to to really connect with that. And when I do that, Jerry, I feel very much a sense of peace. Yeah. But I forget, you know, it's like things kick in sort of automatically. And it's a lot of behaviors that I was doing back in 2000, 2007, 2008, you know, same websites, the same financial websites, the same looking at, you know, mm -hmm. charts the way I did when I was an extremely short term derivative trader. Um, <laughs> you know, I got out, partly I got out of that because it was terrible for family life too. my wife hated the fact that I traded. You know, these right. she, she didn't like but, how. But you, how do you? So you, when you go to prayer, when you prioritize that prayer time, yes, that allows you to connect with God in a way that tells you you're not alone. Right, because I, you know what, I actually am in a period of a, a fair number of consolation, so I can actually feel it right now. But what happens is, is that like, like a ten year old or eleven year old, I can forget, I can lose track of it. So a lot of it for me is staying with my plan of life, right? right? And staying with those regularly scheduled prayer times. Um, and then I don't feel so alone. Like even just talking about it right now, I'm feeling so much better, right? Than I was earlier today. Um, wow. So can I, cause I, I'm concerned about time, but I love this conversation. I am, I want to, I, I think we need to get to Lazarus and, yes, and, and what was hitting me. Okay. Just one thing that is hitting me yes. and it's not a perfect parallel at all. But you and me, we're just so different, right? Like, ways, <laughs> like I, I can't even imagine being 10 years old and like scaring my doctor, right? Which, like, that, that wouldn't have been me at all. Um, so, uh, you know, and I would have adapted in different ways, right? But I'm thinking of Mary and Martha in this story and how they both responded in different ways to Jesus's absence. Because... Right. You just described a situation when you were 10 where perhaps you didn't really feel close to God in that moment. Right, I, not then. The previous session, I've talked about, you know, a little bit that too. And, and, and so, you know, what did Mary do? What did Martha do? And how, did, how, are, how are their responses different? And, and so on in this gospel reading. Even though the words were the same, right? Because they both had the same words uh, at one point. They both said almost the same line. Um, yeah. They said... Um, 
something about like, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They both yeah. say that line. Oh, um, they do? But, okay. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, you're right. They, one stayed at home. It's... One went out to meet him, right? Yeah. Very different ways. I feel like I'll have to look at the passage again, but, and tell me, correct me, please. Right. But I had the feel, it was just a gut feeling that Martha kind of went to Jesus going, so glad you're here. It's so sad. And she had resigned. And Mary, it felt like Mary was, like she does it not in a horrible, she would not like you did with the doctor. Right. But she kind of challenges him. Challenges him. It feels like she's going, where the hell were you? (laughs) you If you had been here, buddy, this could have been prevented. Right, right. Um, The tone feels different. Well, you know what? When Mary Magdalene was, you know, here's the, here's the most poignant line. When Jesus saw her weeping, right? Because Mary was weeping. Martha wasn't weeping, but Mary was weeping when they, when she interacted with Jesus. So when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her weeping, he became perturbed and deeply troubled. Like here you see his humanity. Like he was resonating with that distress. Right. You know, it wasn't because he was losing his own composure, but he was just really resonating with that distress, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and, you know, and caring about them, you know, like, yeah. and then he wept, um, you know, yeah. after that, like he, you know, he was grieving, um, for them, you know, and for their loss, even though he knew that in 10 minutes, Lazarus would be up and moving around. Right. Yeah, that line, that that one line, Jesus wept, is so powerful, of course, and it's a sign of his great love. And he's seeing both of his sisters respond, or both of Lazarus' sisters respond Mm -hmm. in different ways. Mm -hmm. And yet he, um, and I think he's moved by both. Yeah, he's moved by both. Right. And he's moved by what has happened to his friend. And to his friend Lazarus, right? He has real, genuine, I think, human emotion that is expressed here. Even despite right. the fact that he he knows. And you, yeah, you could see them saying, like, "Why didn't you come? Why did why did it play out this way? Why did Lazarus have to die?" Like, and it says in there that other people said, "Well, he he, you know, he healed a man born blind. Why couldn't he have done anything here?" So, and he and he knew that he, you know, because he said it earlier, like, "Let's let's go just so that the glory of God can be revealed." Right, he knew that this was an opportunity to reveal the glory of God, but he still wept right. because of the intensity of the emotion that people were seeing, even so though they weren't understanding at all. Think about it. Like, so last week I shared a little bit of my story. Why did that happen to me? You shared today about being ten and needing these three next. Why did you ha- need those next? Why did you have to go through that? Yeah. Why are we going through cor- coronavirus crap? Why right. is all these things? Why, why, why do these things right. happen to us? Right. That right. seemed like Jesus or God or whoever could just come in and just like not have any of it happen. And I think that's a really human response, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, for us to ask why or for us to enact it, if we're not asking <laughs> it, sometimes people just enact it. Like I think these, you know, and when you see the footage of like two, two people grappling over a case of water at a Costco, you know, uh, and neither of them is thirsty. Or, or toilet paper here. Is or apparently. toilet paper, yeah. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of images on the internet of, like, it's because they are translating this into life or death situations. You know, they're, they're, they're fighting for survival. 
right. uh, misinterpreting situations and probably going back to things that, are, that happened to them much earlier in life. <clears throat> you know, but like, but, but what, what strikes me, though, because I don't want to lose this point because I think it's fitting right. together multiple weeks of our talks and it's hitting me, is Jesus wept. Yes. And it isn't only to say Jesus had emotion. Yes, of course. But it is to say that is the model for our for understanding our suffering is that he is with them. Right. He's weeping along with them. And if we have eyes to see it, he was weeping with me as a child. And if we have eyes to see it, he was weeping with you and your suffering in that hospital room or that bed. And he was, he's weeping and he's with us, whatever may come right now with this virus or whatever else is going on in the world or the stock markets. He's there. Yes. And we don't understand why he doesn't just change it. I think we right. can get there philosophically and there's answers to that question that don't maybe feel, make us feel a lot better, right? They're logical. But the reality that's more important is he loves us and he's with us. Yes, yes. And we need to, we need to hold on to that and maybe it's a dry intellectual concept, you know, at first. But if I can hold on to that dry intellectual concept when I'm caught up with fear, you know, and looking at five minute price tick charts, you know, and I say, oh, it's time to pray. And I go and do that prayer. You know, I can reconnect with it. Yeah. Because he can't just invade me. Right. He's not going to just invade me. He does need me to. But here's operate with it. Hmm. But here's my thought. I can't. That doesn't work for me. Um, if I go to a dry intellectual thought in the face of my fears at it might work for you that won't work for me that sends me into lots of thinking of all kinds of things i actually need like the people that are fighting over the water or the toilet paper right i need to stop and go i'm not actually thirsty right now i'm not actually <laughs> chill out body so my body has to actually like recognize i'm not in danger because if i right. am in danger i do need to do something right right but i have to relax my body and then i need to hear god I need to connect with God first. I need to have an emotional connection with God or others. And that helps soothe me, comfort me, be seen, be known, all that. Right. And then I can have my rational discussion of whatever it is. See, and I, I work a little differently. If I can remember, if I can just hold on to a line, you know, then that can motivate me to go into prayer, you know, where I can find that. You know, and so, um, so yeah, I mean, it works differently for different people. And that's one of the things that we're, because we're coming up towards the end, we got to start Go talking ahead. about like, um, how we're going to, how we're going to, you know, talk about like, what's helpful, you know? Um, yeah, I find, I find that, you know, going back to Exodus, right. And the idea of the manna, right. And it lasted for one day, every day they got the manna, except the, so the day before the Sabbath, they got the double portion, right? They didn't get a complete well-stocked, you know, um, rolling grocery store that went through the desert with them where they knew that they had everything for the whole journey, the whole 40 years. They got manna for the day. Right. So I asked the question, do I have what I need right now? And the answer is always yes. I'm always, you know, when if I get nervous, it's about something in the future, usually, you know, that I fear I'm going to be missing or lacking. And so that's what I'm going to, that's what, when, 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 if you are getting wrapped up in some of this, you know, if you have some similar fears or if you have particular things that are going on in your life that may not even have to directly do with the coronavirus or the, you know, socioeconomic situation, you know, 
complex systems imploding or whatever. You know, it could be a health concern. It could be other things. You know, do I have what I need right now? Yeah. Do I have what I need right now? You know, mm-hmm. and and really explore that. Really explore that question. And then, what is it that, what is it that I think I need that I don't have? You know, because there's real great truth that can come from that. And then take that to our Lord. Take that to our Lord. Uh, right. Take that to our Lady. So, sort of the recommendation at the end of this. I love that. Am I safe now? Am I safe you know? now? Yeah. Am I safe now? Do I have what I need? Um, you know, and if you practice that, if you actually can be small, uh, because before I could t- touch base with this experience as a 10 year old, it was tougher for me to be small. This whole idea of being like a little child, man, didn't make any sense to me. It seemed like it was, <laughs> seemed like it was counterproductive to my survival, really, mm. you know, because I had learned to survive in the world by being strong, um, you know, being tough enough, you know, to, to intimidate other people in some cases, you know, like, that that's a big deal. That's one of the reasons why St. Teresa of, of Lisieux never made any sense to me. The little flower didn't make any sense to me until about two, three years ago. And now I just absolutely love her stuff. Um, you know, because it, it just makes so much sense about like that. that some of the language still is a little difficult, but, um, but yeah, just being small because that's our role. Can I be a sheep, you know, cared for by the shepherd? Right. So. Mm, nice. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, thank you, dear Jerry. This is uh it's a pleasure to do this with you and thank you uh, all of our audience for being here and walking with us through this. Uh, you're the whole reason why we do, well, you're the whole reason why we do this. And, uh, got some interesting things coming up. I am super excited about your course, Dr. Jerry, you've got that coming yes. up. Tell us about it. It's, you can take a course. It's called restoring your marriage after the discovery of a pornography issue. And so it is a unique course because not only does it help a person uh, work toward recovery and overcoming an addiction, it does it within the context of relationship. So it also is takes in, into account the other person, like maybe it's the wife and what she is going through and it help and it provides some really good resources and, and exercises and things for her to do. And it has exercises and resources for the couple to do together to together. feel together yeah. there's yeah. nothing else like it there's there's uh you get you know in this course you're getting tons of marital and mental health and addiction resources that you would you know you could only get from seeing a professional who had years of experience working on these things so it's a rare thing and i really think it will help it might it's not. really good. I've seen, I've seen, I've seen modules of it. It's like 25, 24, 25 modules. And then there's like worksheets you know, that go with them. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a really comprehensive thing. And I think it's going to be a huge, uh, a huge benefit to people to take, to take that on their own. If they, if that is an issue in the marriage or to use it as an adjunct for their uh, therapy work, you know, maybe their marital therapy work or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, I'm really excited about that launching. We've got a whole new web redesign uh, that's uh, that's underway, uh, and hopefully is going to be done by the time this airs. Um, and uh, blogs coming up, and uh, so all kinds oh, yeah. of exciting things, you know. Well, a Catholic's Guide to Finding a Therapist is a free resource. Uh, yeah. There's, there's a, the you know helping loved one in distress, and there's a helping how to help yourself when you are experiencing distress as well. So we have a lot of free resources. Those are free resources. And then Fly on the Wall has got its new episode on the clergy sex abuse scandal. Uh, And, 
and, and the take from and we have two new guests on that one two of our two of our brothers in arms joined us for that particular one so there's eight of us together and really spirited conversation there too so check that out soulsandhearts.com uh, we've got lots of really fascinating things lots of good stuff coming your way right. Yeah. So we're just thrilled to have you listening and we love the feedback that we're getting from people about how yeah. um, this is impacting either your work or your family life or your relationships. So please, if you've been impacted by our show in any way, obviously subscribe, share, like, you know, that stuff, but also uh, give us some feedback. Let us know how yeah. you're liking the show. We're opening up a little bit more about ourselves. Tell us if you like that or not. Uh, oh, feel free to share any of your journey, too. We'd love to right. hear how you relate to our stories and, and, and what resonates with you and what your takeaways are. So thanks for having me with us. All right, till next time, be still. Believe.